In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome back to Soft Black Woman presented by the Betcha Sup. I'm your host, Dr. Akila Kaday, and each and every Friday on Soft Black Woman, we'll be talking about a range of topics from pop culture to politics to how we live our lives. Of course, through the lens of intersectionality. Each and every week on Soft Black Woman, I'll be joined by a different guest co-host who will help me break down the stories of the week. And this week, I'm very excited to introduce my guest and friend, Kelsey Lindell. Kelsey is the founder and CEO of Misfit Media, and uh, Misfit Media is a creative agency led entirely by disabled people to help brands build inclusive stories around disabled people and including disabled people in their content, because people can't figure that out in 2023. Welcome, Kelsey. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. I was so excited when I found out that you were starting Soft Black Woman, and it's... (laughs) It's very fun to be here, and I'm very excited for you and to talk about what's going on in the news. It'll be fun. It'll be like we're just catching up like we normally do, except everyone gets to listen this time. Oh, yeah. No, totally. I, I'm excited because we are both very um, – we're openly disabled, and yep. we put that out there. But um, we use our um, advocacy and social justice and anti-racism and you know ableism skills. We put them all together to do really important things for companies and brands all over this world. So um, know today when we talk about our softness, it comes with how we have to live in this world who doesn't necessarily see or value uh, ourselves as disabled people. So we're going to have a lot to talk about today. Um, we have to talk about the <laughs> Riverfront Brawl. There's Lizzo stuff. And then, of course, you know, who is the soft black woman of the week? So let's get into it. We're going to start with my favorite segment, which is Sounds About White. And that's where we talk about something that's highlighting the latest in white privilege. And this week is all about none other than the Montgomery Riverfront Brawl. So, Kelsey, I don't know if you've heard about this, but I have. It's been going all around because in the the black community, a lot of things have happened as a result of this riverfront brawl. So, last this past Saturday, there was a, uh, a boat that was owned by white people that was docked in a place where it was illegal to be docked. The boat couldn't be, their little pontoon couldn't be docked there because that's where the big river cruise boat would come in and let the passengers off from their experience. Um, And the river boat is the Harriet 2, not to be confused with Harriet 1 or 3. And so the uh, co-captain, Damien Pickett, was telling them that they needed to move their boat and then was pushing their boat to, to move it along. Fast forward, three white men have been charged with assaults. Those three white men are Richard Roberts, 48, Alan Todd, 23, and Richard Shipman, which is a very appropriate name for a boat, uh, who's 25. Combined, they have four warrants um, for their arrest for attacking Damien because instead of moving their boat and complying, 
they decided to jump him. So as of right now, the FBI says there isn't enough evidence to charge the men with a hate crime. But what happened was when uh, Damien, the co-captain of the boat, was being attacked by these three white guys. Um, if you haven't seen the, the footage, if you want to see the footage, you can. Trigger warning, it is, it is violence. But he throws his cap into the air. And then other black people came to support him because he was being attacked by uh, white people, including one person who jumped into the water or off the boat, can't quite tell from the camera angle, and a 16-year-old swam across to help out, other people running down to help out. There was a folding chair that was, <laughs> that was, that was, I shouldn't laugh, but there was a, fo a plastic folding chair, the kindest, a the Tupperware of folding chairs um, that was used on some people as well. So that's the whitest thing I've ever heard. So yeah, that's <laughs> why you're laughing. These are my people. No, they're not my people, but I am white. Uh, this is this. when people say when people say white people have no culture. They've clearly never seen this video where this plastic chair was broken. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So a, a lot of people were involved in this. Eventually, the riverboat was able to be docked, and some of those employees came off to to defend their captain, right, their co-captain. And so a lot a lot ensued. A lot happened. So I think it's important to talk about the history of Montgomery. Montgomery. Montgomery bus boycott. There was a lot of things that happened there with MLK. I mean, Montgomery has a history. So when we think about that history along with what happened with the brawl, I guess that we're calling it, including that that very place where the brawl happened was where enslaved people were auctioned and sold there's more than just the brawl. There's a there's there's layers of complexity there. And so for some people, they may be like, mm, why are you condoning violence? I'm not condoning violence. But at the same time, nothing the co-captain, Damien, didn't do anything wrong. And white privilege showed up. To be like, I don't care that Montgomery is 60% black. I don't care that this is not a designated spot for my boat. I'm a white guy and I want to park my boat here. This is where I want to park it. And I'm not going to listen to you, even though you have the authority of captain. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, my family, my husband's family is from... We live in Minnesota, so we're in the Mississippi River, the part of Mississippi River you can actually swim in. So there is all kinds. It's we know boat culture, specifically pontoon <laughs> culture, which is pontoon. different. It is it is, it is it different. Is, it is I just here. did it my is. first pontoon <laughs> and I will never do a pontoon again. I'm not a pontoon oh, girl. Really? I'm a yacht girl. Yeah, I don't I oh. like I like I like I know here's the thing. I just if the pontoon has a bathroom, great. If it doesn't have mm -hmm. a bathroom, that doesn't work for me. I just Sure. I can't I can't pee in the water apparently like everyone else. I need to I need to have a facility. And yeah, then I can't yeah. get it with a pontoon. I mean, you can stop at home, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you <laughs> you know, there are options. But I guess my take on it is like it's it's not surprising to me because of white supremacy, right? Like mm -hmm. boating culture, specifically pontoon culture, is extremely friendly. Like something that we with our family, we call it, it's called the river wave. If you're on the Mississippi River and you're boating, it is considered like 
rude, offensive. Your house is going to get egged if you don't enthusiastically wave and be cordial with people who are also Oh, I for on the sure river. waved on the pontoon. Yeah, it was exciting. Totally. And then yeah, people the will link pontoons the, together uh-huh, too. You know, a there's a whole life. If you will, a flotilla. See, I wish I could say that I am a yacht girl. <laughs> I do not have that kind of uh, – my bank account does not reflect that. I am a pontoon girl through and through. Um, I am not the kind that will start a fight. But, I like, the reality is that, like, typically boating culture is very friendly. Yeah. And the reason that this happened is because of entitlement and white supremacy and people believing that because this black person now had the – affluence, influence, and opportunity to buy a boat that they still were not, or capped in a boat, that they still were not considered their equal, which is wild. Wild on so many levels. I mean, so again, I don't condone violence, but the memes were hilarious that came out and about around this. So there's there's this guy who I don't know, and I it just happened to come upon his TikTok um, at Miles underscore Wilder, who talked about white women and white privilege. And so there's been a lot of talk because a white woman is is hit by a white folding chair, um, and he just reiterates in his <laughs> TikTok that that is how white privilege shows up where you think you can enter in a brawl and not have an outcome of a brawl, right? To just to like be part of it, but not, not inflicting any type of potential harm or whatever. But then he also says, but if you feel you're someone who understands your white privilege and you're still wondering why a white woman was hit by a folding chair, then, then you then you don't actually understand your white privilege because you're wondering why she was hit with a folding chair when she was part of a brawl that that had nothing to do with her. That she elected to enter. She elected to enter this fight of her own fruition. Nobody was like, hey, white woman, we really need your help here. She chose to do it and, you know, respectfully – play dumb games, win dumb prizes, you know, like she chose to get in on it and that just because you're white and a woman does not mean that you will not win the stupid prizes if you play the stupid games. I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, there's this sense of pride and celebration within the black community because we're always wrong. We're always told that we're wrong. And in this case, we were not the problem. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for some people, it may just be like often and -hmm. normally are not like more Mm -hmm. times than 10. I want to phrase. I want to be very clear. (laughs) It was not that this time you were not. It is that normally, normally, very rarely are you the problem. The norm is. Um, And (laughs) so actually the white people that are usually the problem. (laughs) So there's been some gems that have come out, such as Augen's teeth. Um, <laughs> swing low, sweet folding chair. Um, oh my God, no. Phelps for the the sixteen year old mm-hmm. kid who, or mm-hmm. Aquaman is Aquaman is my favorite. <laughs> um, and then we also have August fifth is more important than January sixth. Um, so a massive mm, white people. Mm-hmm. So there's yeah. been important things that have been coming around, but it is really important to note going back into the historical context that the folding chair was invented by Nathaniel Alexander on July 7th, 1911. 
an African-American man. So Nathaniel Alexander of Lynchburg, Virginia, gave us a folding chair that little did he know that a hundred some odd years later would be part of August 10th. Yeah. A day black people were not wrong. Especially with inventors or entrepreneurs, a lot of people don't realize the weight of what they're creating might have like for like decades and centuries down. And I just, I hope that that creator is so proud looking at how (laughs) black people have been like, no, we will use this eventually. We will use this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, (laughs) yeah, Mm -hmm. there's, um, so again, any white people who are listening who may be confused, uh, this is an example. Confusion is an opportunity to lean into your privilege because again, the black man, the captain, Damien, co-captain, he did nothing wrong. But sometimes if you're confused to the outcome of this, your privilege is showing. So it's an opportunity to, to check it out. Again, mm-hmm. I don't condone violence, but if you fuck around, you will find out. You will. You will find out. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. So let's talk about things that are happening in the culture. 
this next segment for the culture is part of the show where we examine some of the top trending pop culture and media headlines. And our first subject of today, Lizzo. Mm. And what's happening with allegations, with the former dancers, sexual harassment, body shaming. There's so much. So let me break it down for you listeners. There's a lawsuit that has come to light where this 44-page lawsuit, three dancers um, detail assault, inappropriate sexual behavior, um, workplace misconduct, disability discrimination, religious harassment against um, Lizzo and her production company, Big Girl, Big Touring Inc., or BGBT. Um, it also highlights alleged behavior from uh, Shirlene Quigley, the captain of Lizzo's dance uh, team, so the dance captain. The cases are centered um, with three dancers, Ariana Davis, Noel Rodriguez, and Crystal Williams, while they were employed with Lizzo as dancers. Um, and this happened between September 21st and May 2023. Do you want to update that, um, according to NBC News, additional ex-dancers are coming out with additional allegations and potential legal action may be on the way. Ever since the stories of um, Ariana, Noel, and Crystal have come out, there have been other people who have been talking about their stories. So there is a former uh, producer, director who quit, who's a black woman, who quit in two weeks because of what similar to what these three women were experiencing. It's also important to note that these three women are um, BIPOC, black indigenous uh, people of color. They're women of color. Um, they have a beautiful larger figure as well. I actually know one of the dancers and she is wonderful and great. And I just want to, before we get into talking about it, just want to talk about something that's public that she's posted on her, her social media. So Noelle started this post by quoting um, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, by saying, if they want to make an example out of me, I will gladly be one. Hopefully we can be an example of dedication, courage, and persistence under fire. I also hope to be an example of not tolerating nonsense too. And so that's the AOC quote. Noelle continues by saying, it brings me peace to be at a point in my career where I can say no, all caps, to disrespect. I stand strong and walking away from spaces that don't serve me and more importantly, don't deserve me. My talent, my character, and reputation speaks volumes on its own. Know your worth and never be afraid to use your voice. Stand up for what is right, regardless of who is committing the wrong. Excited for what's to come. And to be quite honest, it was hashtag about damn time. Noel. So what are your thoughts initially? We can get into um, Lizzo's response, but mm -hmm. yeah, what's coming up for you? My initial thoughts are I'm really sad and I'm really disappointed. And mm -hmm. that might it might sound cheesy or whatever, but like, I mean, Lizza has a very parasocial relationship with her fans and her followers, and she's always publicly, you know, obviously behind the scenes, things are different, but publicly really felt, she has felt vulnerable. She has felt like she cares about body positivity, 
protecting black women, caring about mm-hmm. marginalized communities. Like she's mm-hmm. really, you know, literally the day before this came out, I re- like had professionally pr- recorded and produced a training about how to respond to callouts when you harm the disability community because that's what my company does. And I used her as an example. Like that is how much like I have really respected her. We both did. So let's 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 talk about that real quick. So and Lizzo's song is it about Dan Time? Is that the song? The one that she got called out for? Yeah. Where was, she said um which no, one it was, was not it? about Dan Time. Uh, she said spaz. I think it's right. girls, G R L S. Yes. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so she made it a big deal to say like, oh, I didn't know. My community mm-hmm. told me I'm, I'm going to re-record the song. I'm going to take it down. Yep. I'm going to upload it. You know, same, Beyonce did that too. And I, you know, you can find a TikTok or a reel I have talking about that. And that is still important. I'm not going to take it down. That is still important. But what you're mentioning, the advocacy for historically excluded, intentionally ignored, or some people may know it as marginalized communities mm-hmm. is clear and present. And so this is this is a lot to process when those groups are saying this is this is not the person you know this person to be. And it's really important to note we don't know any celebrity because we don't unless you actually know the person, you don't know the person. We have to go by what they give us. And they give us what we get on social media if they have that, you know, if we see them perform and however they perform, if we you know, get to read an interview about them. So we have a fragmented view of of this person. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know. I just feel really disappointed because I think especially, yes, of course, we only know what they see us on social media, but Lizzo has been intentional about trying to appear vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it really, you know, it colors your worldview a lot because she does appear much more vulnerable than many other celebrities, performers. So it's it's just really disappointing. Oh, yeah. And the, the body shaming she's experienced herself. Yeah. So um, Lizzo, who's 35 and a Grammy winner, uh, responded to what she called outrageous claims uh, just this week, right? That's all happening real time, last early end of last week. So um, I'm not going to read the whole uh, response, but I'll highlight a couple of things. Um. She says, as an artist, I have always been very passionate about what I do. I take my music and my performances seriously because at the end of the day, I only want to put out the best art that represents me and my fans. With passion comes hard work and high standards. Sometimes I have to make hard decisions, but I've never, but it's never my intention to make anyone feel uncomfortable or like they aren't valued as an important part of the team. And so this is a wonderful, and I'm very curious about what you have to say, Kelsey, but this is mm-hmm. a wonderful example of intent versus impact. Mm-hmm. You cannot control how someone will respond to that. So if you're saying with passion comes hard work and high standards, those high standards, the outcome of why so many people are coming out and mm-hmm. talking about the harm that has been caused. Also, there's no... There's no accountability in her in her statement. It's not even an apology. It's just a statement, right? Right of of what has happened. Yeah, I mean, if she had followed it up with saying, "I am deeply sorry that my actions have made people feel that way," and here is my plan to rectify that, that would feel very different. It is taking accountability. To me, it feels like she was got, one had a really bad PR team that she should 
fire. I mean, she or should didn't, just do better. It didn't work with a PR team. Yeah. And also, it feels like she's just trying to cover her butt for legal purposes. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like she is – this entire response, none of it feels like it has been deeply ingested and she is, like, or digested and thinking about, like, hmm – how have my actions affected other people, right? Because all of us will make other people feel bad or unappreciated or whatever at some point of our lives. Like, it, it's just a fact of life. So how we respond to that is the most important thing and the fact that she's just digging her heels in so hard. And when you, you know, you'll go into the explanation more, but it's just like, oh, no wonder they finally came forward with a lawsuit. I, it sounds like they've tried to do this internally a handful of times. Right. And so if people are not aware of the lawsuit, again, there's a lot of things that are mentioned in there. Disability mm -hmm. comes up, religion, um, sexual harassment. I'm just going to tell you one little tidbit. Lizzo um, and, and encouraged, instructed uh, these one of or more of these three dancers to eat a banana from the uh, dancer's vagina. And the reason why I bring that up is, one, you never know what someone is going through. Mm -hmm. They could be in a position of questioning. There could be religious stuff that's in there. There could be wherever they are in their sexual progression. There's mention in the... In the and the lawsuit about kind of shaming someone who is a virgin. Mm. But even after that, someone could question themselves and their identity if they felt they had to do it because their boss told them to do it. And so many of you know, I run an organizational development consulting firm and power and privilege, I talk about a lot, but it's really important for leaders. So if you are a leader of a department or the company, your ask is different from the office coordinator, <laughs> the peer of that person, mm -hmm. because there's a feeling like if you don't do these things, your job could be at risk or you'll be treated poorly or you won't have an opportunity to move up or to grow or to go on the next tour or whatever it may be. And so sometimes people may feel that they have to do things even when they wouldn't want to do it because of that power and privilege that that leader has. So... Lizzo continues in her statement by saying, I'm not here to be looked at as a victim, but I also know that I'm not the villain that people and the media have portrayed me to be these last few days. I'm very open with my sexuality and expressing myself, but I cannot accept or allow people to use that openness to make me out to be something I am not. There is nothing I take more seriously than the respect we deserve as women in the world. I know what it feels like to be body shamed on a daily basis and would absolutely never criticize or terminate an employee because of their weight. So here she doesn't realize she's contradicting herself in this very statement. So I'm not here to be the victim or the villain, I, but I also know what it's like to be body shamed. Yet I'm going to be really open about my sexuality and expressing myself. And I'm not going to let anyone tell me that I can't do that. You know, so it, there's this contradiction, mm -hmm. this back and forth that she has, which goes back to your statement. And, and you work with a lot of people who think about messaging and media and what goes, goes mm -hmm. out into the world. Mm -hmm. This is not a good, this is not a good statement. And we do this crisis management. And this is, this statement makes things 
worse. It actually Way shows worse. that she has no compassion for the people who came out and talked about their experience. It will make it worse for her in the legal mm-hmm. case. It will make it worse for her with her business. It will make it worse with her future employees. It's nothing good is going to come from this response. Not one good, not one good thing. I think the other thing that she's failing to realize is like, I'm not going to be the villain. Literally, everyone's a villain in someone's story. Everyone is. You are Dr. Kaday. I am some like there will be somebody who thinks you're the villain in their story. And like the reality is nobody's perfect. We will all make mistakes. We will like we talked about, we will harm people. Harm repair is how you don't become the villain. You know, being open to repairing it, being open to communication, taking accountability, learning from it, moving forward. If you do that, you will be the villain in much, much fewer people's stories Mm -hmm. and lives, but everyone will be. So the idea that, you know, she, there's no possible way because she's experienced trauma or being marginalized herself or body shaming herself, that idea is wild, right? Like we see people all the time who have experienced oppression who then go and oppress other people because it is what they've learned. It's a survival skill. It actually is more common when people who have experienced this, then they start to get a little taste of that power you're referring to. They then start to exploit other people because they're so terrified of losing it. Well, shit, Kelsey, good job. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) I know. But see, this is where it gets really difficult for people because they're like, but you know, they are women of color and Lizzo's a woman of color. Well, Lizzo has a fuller figure and they have a fuller figure. So none of this can happen. Mm-hmm. But oppressed groups are the best at oppressing people mm-hmm. because they've experienced so much oppression. We actually have to do more work to check ourselves because the way mm-hmm. white supremacy works is that if white people get me to be mad at other black people, then that's less work for them to do. Yeah. It's like Candace Owens. Boom. Kanye West. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They start to get a tiny little taste and then they're like, oh no, that didn't really happen. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I figured it out. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's like infighting. I mean, we can speak specifically to the um, disabled community because, mm-hmm. yeah, because we have visible and invisible. I have both visible and invisible. Like right now. I do as well. You can see Hello. that I have a brace on because my wrist yeah. keeps dislocating today. And it's being a little fucking bitch. So I have that on. But there's other times where I don't have anything on. And, you know, if I'm asking for accommodation to sit on a plane, you know, to board the plane early or whatever, all of a sudden I'm like the pretty stylish problematic person who can't who's can't wait to sit down in business or first class. They have to sit down right now. Mm-hmm. So I use that as an example is because we have different very no one's going to have the same exact disability as me. Can we have the same diagnosis? Sure. But they're not going to have the same intersectionality and lived experience as me. And so we see that within our community where certain people will be like, well, I'm better than you because I look this way or I get more accommodation because I need these things or whatever can also Mm -hmm. show up. Totally. Yeah. I mean, for instance, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. So, I mean, I create a lot of content that goes viral on TikTok. Not viral, but like lots of people see it on TikTok. Not Betches viral, but for disability community. It goes. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But what will happen often, like for instance, my most commonly asked question, I will no longer answer on social media because of that infighting. My most commonly asked question is, how do I respectfully talk about disability? So Mm. if I say, use the term disabled, 
in either person first, so person with a disability or identity first, disabled person language, mm-hmm. there are always people that will be like, well, I think it's this one. And I'm like, okay, that is truly a personal preference. I can't get into all the nuance in a 10 second TikTok. Yeah. But the amount of people that are like, oh, but it's this and it's this. And then people start fighting in my comments. I am not kidding you. That is usually why my stuff goes viral is because of people fighting in the comments about which version they like. So like exactly. Yeah. Infighting is real. It is easy to tear each other down once you you think you have like a little piece. You're like, oh, I'm finally gonna make it now. I gotta make sure everyone else listens to me and there won't be enough room. Otherwise, there won't be enough room for everyone. Absolutely. And keeping in mind, going back to the villain thing, everyone is a villain one way or another. The way you can correct that is by what you're saying, accountability, learning and unlearning and how that shows up. I for sure, someone does not like me at the airport. I'm pretty sure the people I fired, some people, some people, some people who I fired probably don't like me, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's that. But I, I, I can't be perfect, and I won't because that's a tenet of white supremacy to every single mm-hmm. person. I'm going to be my true authentic self and real. Mm-hmm. So um, poet and actor um, Ariel Astoria posted a response to Lizzo's uh, uh, message, statement. We'll say statement. Um, and I'm just going to highlight a little part of it. I hope it can be acknowledged where harm was placed and that as someone who speaks so highly about the connection, collaboration, and uplifting of women and black women especially, that you'll find that still a value of yours in this process as well, right? So saying, again, harm was caused here. Harm was caused. So perhaps... You can process and reflect that and realize how you can reconnect back to the work that we know she's done. So let me ask you, mm. with the the video that you just recorded, mm-hmm. are you going to re-record it or are you still going to use it? I'm going to put a disclaimer, I think is what oh, I will great. do. I will put a yeah. disclaimer and I will say this was recorded before these allegations came out. I hold nuance. Like I, I think what Lizzo has done is bad and sexually explicit. I've also... How she handled that one situation of re-recording that song is a no-notes example of how to respond when you are called out for bad behavior. Oh, yeah. Two things can be true at the same time, right? So, like, Lizzo has lost the, like, kind of – I do not say she's a no-notes example of how to respond to accountability now mm-hmm. when you're called forward. I do say in that one instance when she changed her song – and responded promptly, mm-hmm. that is a great example. So if anything, I would just show this in contrast, be like, this is how you do it right. Mm-hmm. This is how you do it wrong. But um, this is why it's important. I talk a lot about transferable skill set. Mm-hmm. She was able to see it there because she was called mm-hmm. in to say like, hey, Lizzo, no, your fans, not okay. By a disabled person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Called in. She held herself accountable, made the change. It was like, what, in 24 24- 48 hours. It happened over the weekend. Mm-hmm. It's quick. And that was wonderful. And that's something I'm still very proud about with Lizzo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in the other case, when it comes to disability, sexual harassment, religion, you know, mm-hmm. these things that are in the lawsuit, then she's like, mm, no. Yeah. Right? And so here's a little secret. If she were open to accountability and valuing her team, there would be no lawsuit. 
there is no win for anyone coming out against someone who has that much power and privilege, particularly when we're talking about sexual harassment and discrimination. There is no win. And we know that America loves victim shaming. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what these three women are experiencing from hardcore Lizzo fans. And right. I hope they are finding ways to tap into their softness as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But shaming is something that no one wants. And so to put mm-hmm. themselves out there knowing it will be that public, it's on every single media outlet, it's everywhere. They know there's really nothing to gain from it except for their own truth and hoping that other people aren't harmed. Again, we're seeing more people are coming out um, as a result of this. I will say, as an example of victim shaming, we can look at Megan the Stallion. And it was just announced that Tory Lanez has 10 years, was sentenced 10 years. Um, I am wearing my, I can't talk right now. I'm doing real hot girl shit sweater in honor of Megan the Stallion from Breed Receipts. Um, but, you know, it's good to see that someone who was shamed so badly from not only just fans, but also celebrities to be able to have that type of outcome of him being sentenced. I don't, 10 years, I I don't know, 10 years, maybe a lot, maybe a little, I don't know, but it's the accountability that is there. So we also have a fun other lawsuit that's happening. Um, mm. So... <laughs> Uh, there has been litigation that has been brought up by the same conservative activists who led the successful campaign against affirmative action um, against the college admissions um, to target a black-led VC fund. This black-led VC, um, the Fearless Fund, has invested in beauty brands like Brown Girl Jane, The Lip Bar, and Bread Beauty. Uh, with lots of others. Um, They've invested in in about 40 companies since they started in, I believe, 2019. The same guy who effectively Uh. ended affirmative action is now coming after VCs that fund not only tech, product, whatever it is, that's addressing the fact that out of all the VC funds, 1% goes to black-led funded funds, right? One, 1%. Mm-hmm. When it comes to women, it's like something ridiculous, like 0.04, 0.02%. So the reason why you have specific funds for black-led um, companies is because mm-hmm. we're already overlooked with all the other funds that are out there. What are your thoughts about this? Yes. <laughs> Do these people not understand capitalism? Because the reality is that Like, diversity is actually good for business. Like, we know this. We have studies that prove that. If it weren't, all of the 90% of companies that have DEI initiatives would not have them because they do not actually care about diversity. They really don't. They care about money. And what makes them more money is when they value their contributors and they value their patrons, which, guess what, are diverse. And so that is, like, yes, 100%. All VC funds should fund more Black-owned businesses, AAPI-owned businesses, women, trans-owned businesses. They should be doing this anyways, and they don't, and that's ridiculous. But these, like, niche ones, that's a business, and they want to find their niche market to make their shareholders money. Like, that's how capitalism works. And when people see themselves reflected, 
they're going to win more business. Like, I just, I don't understand how these people who claim to like, I mean, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. They like get hard over trickle down economics, which we know doesn't work either. But like, do you not understand capitalism? These people want to make money. We have a lot of studies that prove that investing in diversity does make you money. That is what people are doing. You know, they aren't actually starting these VC funds out of the goodness of their hearts. So that's my thought is do these people not understand how capitalism works? If we had equity, we wouldn't need these funds. Yeah. And we don't. So these funds are designed so we can get to a place of equity. So if black people are like 15% of the pop around 15% of the population and we're only getting 1% of VC funds, that's not equitable. No. It's just, it's just, it's just not, it's just not equitable. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote myself. I was in an article with uh, Business of Fashion this week. Um, I'm just so annoyed. I'm just so annoyed. Um, so the name of this article is uh, a new lawsuit puts fashion's corporate diversity efforts in the crosshairs, um, and it's by Sheena uh, Butler Young. She's wonderful. Read all of her articles. But I go in there and I and I I say. There's a lack of representation in VCs in general. Without minority-led VCs, these brilliant black women will have to partner with white men. They will have to code switch and compromise their business plan, possibly just to get funding and even whatever that idea is. And so if this guy wins and he has a successful track record, then we're going to be in a position where what does that mean for other areas of our lives, other areas mm -hmm. of business where are we going to go back into time this gentleman wants things to go back to jim crow times right. because there's already no accountability in vcs to make sure that there's equity and funding just for fucking white women we don't even have that right and so when you add more intersectionality for black women on top of that that number is even smaller. Tiny, yeah. Who who's the the white guy VC who's going to understand shade inclusion and representation for these beauty brands? Who's going to understand the additional investment that needs to go into research and design and product testing to make sure that it has full spectrum of just of all the beautiful skin tones that are out there? Right. I that's what I'm saying is like if these people want to make money they need to truly understand all of these different aspects of diversity and hiring people who have lived experience and professional experience simultaneously to be the experts on this is the only way that they can tap into that market for all of the beautiful brown shades of skin. Yeah, totally. And the, and the range. Mm -hmm. Well, the politics keep politicking because uh, I talked previously on an episode about the professor – um, Kathleen McElroy, who had a job offer <laughs> for Texas A&M that was taken away from her. Um, and there all this drama that went into it. And so this week, happy to report that she has received a million dollars um, in a settlement uh, as a result of how they um, took back an offer that was given to her. And so... Uh, the nation's largest public school, again, Texas A&M, admitted to mistakes that were made during the hiring process. And a joint statement with McElroy, they said collectively, um, the university and the school has learned from its mistakes and will strive to ensure similar mistakes are not repeated in the future. 
and McElroy feels like it's resolved. Here's the thing. I'm happy she collected some checks. However she's getting it, I am happy for it. But I guarantee you there is no accountability that's happening. What this whole lawsuit showed is if white people are mad that a black woman is in a position of power, they can say something about it and that will be fixed and solved in favor of Mm -hmm. what makes them comfortable. So I don't know. I'm, I, I am concerned for America. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, been there for a while. Um, Obviously we have, we, that's how we developed our friendship. (laughs) Yeah. I listen, here's the deal. I really think that these these people have been playing chess, not checkers. Well, oh, there's absolutely. been infighting, like we we're talking about with infighting within different communities. There's been infighting within people who are left leaning or liberal leaning because, like, over little things. While well, all these people have been organizing all of this time to get all of these little lobbying laws mm-hmm. in front of judges that Trump appointed when we were mm-hmm. all arguing over. Should it be Uncle Jojo Beans or 12 (laughs) other candidates, you know, like for our presidential nominee? So I I really think that I am also afraid. I think I think we need to be very strategic moving forward. I don't have an answer for I mean, I do. I always have an answer, which is things will get way worse before they get better. I definitely believe it's chess, not checkers. But Mm -hmm. one thing that everyone can do is pre-order my book. White supremacy is all around. (laughs) Notes from a black disabled woman in a white world. Um, That link is available now. Um, My book comes out February 6th because I'm concerned. And I've written everything that you should know to make it through this election year that is quickly approaching us. Um, As we get into more stupidness, ableism, racism, Mm -hmm. sexism, homophobia, transphobia and more well i mean i don't mean this just because i'm your friend and just because i'm your podcast (laughs) i am very much looking forward to reading your book (laughs) because every time we have conversations i'm like yes that nugget that nugget that nugget i know just (laughs) highlight them and just you can show it to people i will just bring it to thanksgiving with my family and be like you can read this (laughs) just (laughs) on on the table with their cutlery and like where the napkin is like going to be folded nicely will also be your book Oh yeah. 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 Um <laughs> I'm very excited about that. Family. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean just everyone's holiday gift, however whatever mm-hmm. you do for celebrating the holidays, just mm-hmm. go ahead and pre-sell cuz I am a black disabled author who's also a woman, so I'm not set up for success for my book. Speaking of that, uh, Twice as Hard. So this is um, a segment where we talk about a BIPOC person, Black Indigenous person of color, who has to do something twice as hard to get half as far. So this week we are highlighting Wayne Brady. So Wayne Brady came out as pansexual. Um, he said, I'm doing this for me. Um, so you may know him from lots of things, but he definitely made you laugh somewhere. Um, but he came out in this TikTok video talking about how he's pansexual and his daughter and his ex-wife are super supportive um, of him as well. And I just, I think, I think it's great. I think it's great. He said, um, I couldn't say if I was bisexual because I had to really see you know, like what that was, especially because I really have not gotten a chance to act on anything. So I came to pansexual because 
And I know that I'm completely messing up the dictionary meaning, but to me, pan means being able to be attracted to anyone who identifies as gay, straight, bi, transsexual, or non-binary. Being able to be attracted across the board. And I think at least for me right now, it's the proper place. And so I'm very proud of him. I think it's great. Um, if you don't know, Wayne, Wayne Brady is a black man. And so it's really exciting and also very powerful for a, a black male identifying man to come out and be pansexual and, and some softness that comes into letting the world know. Like growing up, I used to watch someone who was lying it anyway all the time growing up and I never would have guessed. So it's really cool to watch him come into that and have the bravery to come forward and say that knowing that like a lot of his audience will be shocked. And I'm sure, you know, he was on popular television and in mostly he was like honestly the token black person who was lying to Oh my God. So that's yeah. where a lot of people will know him from. I love And I'm sure show. he'll receive yeah. a lot of pushback because that's where, you know, it's got a very large white audience. Um, and so I think it's it's really cool and powerful to challenge stereotypes, right? Because it shows that like, you know, pansexuality does not look a certain way. Bisexuality does not look a certain way. Trans people don't look a certain way. Like it really can present in any way and everyone's sexuality is evolving as they evolve. Absolutely. Well, closing our wonderful talk, which we will absolutely do again, want to highlight the soft black woman of the week. And so when we close out the show, we highlight someone who's like showing us what softness is all about. Reminder, everyone is welcome to the Soft Black Woman Club. And I like to highlight soft black women because I am doing that myself and always on that journey. I do have two this week, though. Um, shout out to Brittany Griner. She recently just came back for a three game break. She wanted to focus on her mental health, which I think is very powerful to see role modeling similar to what we're talking about with Wayne Brady. But our girl, Simone Biles, is back. She won the 2023 U.S. Classic. And um, oh, it was just so great to see the videos of her back in her element doing her thing. And um, <laughs> someone in interviewing Biles, she said, did I look like I was having fun? Oh, thank God. <laughs> I thought I was going to um, shit bricks, um, but that's good. <laughs> so I, it's just wonderful that she was able to take the time to do what she needed to do to get back to something that we all know that she loves, um, but with that really powerful boundary of saying, I'm going to tap out and I'm going to work on myself. So welcome back, mm -hmm. Simone. Welcome back indeed. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So how are you going to bring softness into this week? Okay. So we talked about this before we started recording. I didn't tell you much. Are you ready for this? Yes. Okay. So for the listeners who don't know much about me or Dr. Kade, we both deal with chronic pain. Like the last two years of my life have been intensely painful. I have stage four endometriosis. It has grown around other organs. I have 50% of my life these days. I literally couldn't get out of bed because I was in so much pain. I work from my bed most days. Um, However, I've started working with this amazing person and woman named Ihotu. She is a soft black woman as well. And Yay. she has this really – yeah, she's phenomenal. She is – I have not had pain for a month. Spoiler. That's that's where I'm at. What type of practitioner? So she is – she has like a nursing background and like public health and she's a midwife mm -hmm. and a doula and she's done like Mayan massage and like abdominal massage oh, and wow. she's in chiropractic school and – 
I, I'm going to name my kid after this person. I'm so obsessed with her. <laughs> um, she does acupuncture. She like learned to do like ear acupuncture from like somebody who did it I with do the like Black ear Panthers. Like she's oh. badass. Yeah. And she incorporates anti-racism into everything that she does. Yeah. She's a half Nigerian woman. She's incredible. And she's been doing somatic therapies. And so oftentimes mm. if you're not aware then the chronic illness community – they can't figure out what's wrong with you. Doctors will ignorantly be like, oh, just go to therapy. Just it's in your head. And here's the deal is the body does keep the score. We know this. Our body does store trauma. And so she's been working on somatic therapies with me. And I will just cry and cry and cry during them. <laughs> and then I don't know. I don't have pain right now. But the thing that she's told me to do every day, which I have done, is she's like, I want you to try to get out of your body because your body is experiencing a lot of pain. How can mm -hmm. you try to get out of your body more? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know. I feel so overwhelmed by this pain. I can't even do anything. She's like, well, what's the happiest memory you have? And is there any music associated with it? I call it my Patronus. And this is the Moulin Rouge musical moment. Like it was three and a half minutes of my life. Okay. So I never liked the movie Moulin Rouge. I went to the musical on a fluke when it was touring in Minneapolis, which is where I live. And I was, I literally went the next day and took all of my friends' phones and bought them tickets. Like you have to go, you have to go, you have to go. Mm -hmm. I got everyone at a baby shower to go. Then when I went to New York, I went again and accidentally got front row seats because we just rushed them. We're like, I don't care. Whatever's cheap. Give me whatever. Yeah. I was front row. It was the best day of my life, and that is more than my wedding day. Not kidding. Not <laughs> kidding. That next day, we found out that the original person who was in this musical was coming back. His name is Aaron Tveit. And if you know Aaron Tveit, anybody listening knows Aaron Tveit. He has saved my life. Um, so <laughs> I told my husband, I was like, I don't care. I know we've seen it now two times in like four months. This is my Super Bowl. If the Vikings ever make the Super Bowl, you can go. This is my Super Bowl. I'm going back to New York. I'm going to this. We did go. And my husband thought I was nuts. But I'm not kidding you. The three and a half minutes where this person sings Roxanne is the best three and a half minutes of my life. So not kidding. Every day for three and a half minutes, I have been meditating to Roxanne from Moulin Rouge the <laughs> Musical. And it feels nuts. And it looks nuts. And it sounds nuts. But I have no pain right now. So that's I what I'm doing. That. And it's hilarious. It has literally saved my life. I'm not kidding. Like I have <laughs> trigger warning. I've dealt with suicidal ideation for the last two years because this pain is so bad. Like I know. We've talked about it. Relate. Yeah. It, it is so hard for me to just stay alive. And I'm like, yes. wouldn't this be hilarious if Mulan Rouge the musical is what <laughs> saves my life? I'm excited um, for your future book of just the storyline of getting here. Yeah. 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 Roxanne and other ways so I manage black women. chronic yeah. pain and disability. Yeah. <laughs> soft black women and Roxanne from Mulan Rouge right. the musical. If you haven't seen the musical, it is very different than the movie and it is 100 times better. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. I love Broadway plays. Yeah. I, I'm dabbling in producing them right now. Um, oh, okay. We'll talk about that offline. <laughs> fun fact. That actually includes Wayne Brady. Now that I think about it. Oh, look at me having a moment. I, mm -hmm. for my softness this week... I am going to pack the day before I leave. Wow. <laughs> yep. I'm going to pack the day before I leave. I am going on vacation, y'all. So I am going to be resting next week, apparently. We'll see. Although, I don't know if you can tell from my very sexy voice right now, I do have a cold. So hopefully that leaves me alone so I can um, rest. So I'll be doing that next week. And you'll get to talk to, do you know, you're here from, uh, Jenna Reesh, do you know her? I don't think so, no. 
Well, you'll have to listen to next week's episode I because will. we talked to her. She is the executive director of the Indoco, and it is a spectacular, fantastic um, conversation. And so, how can people find you? Um, they can find me on Instagram, Kelsey underscore Lindell. Lindell is spelt like Mike Lindell. I am from Minnesota. There is no familial relation to the My Pillow guy. Um, but that is how it's spelled. Uh, also, just Kelsey Lindell on TikTok, no underscore. And then my company is Misfit Media. We help non-disabled marketers include disabled people in ways that aren't problematic and actually grow their business. Thank you. Yeah. We appreciate you for doing you. so much. Thank you. So much work. Well, that's it for today's episode. Be sure to join Soft Black Women Club by leaving us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify and follow the Betches Up podcast wherever you're listening. We'll have new episodes of Soft Black Women every single Friday. So be sure you subscribe now so you don't miss out on our next episode. Follow me at change today. So change C-A-D-E-T and follow at Betches underscore news on Instagram and TikTok. Until next week, stay soft and keep being amazing. Soft Black Woman is produced by Amanda Duberman, Rebecca Salzmacat, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Rebecca Salzmacat. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails on SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.